This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, to Orr! First time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 154 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Wednesday and Thursday, the Bruins defeated the Islanders and Rangers, respectively, in a back-to-back 4-1 and 3-1. So obviously, I was scoring them 7-2 in the process. Uh, both teams, Islanders and Rangers, presented different challenges to the Bruins, two different styles of play. But uh, on a back-to-back, the Bruins, just what else is new? A very, very impressive showing the last two nights by this team. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think anytime in the NHL you have back-to-backs, you, you know, you always wonder about that second night. Uh, in this case, obviously, very little travel. They just have to hop on train or bus or whatever, go from uh, the Islanders Arena to, to Manhattan. Um but still, against the Rangers team that's been playing well, going up against Igor Shesterkin, big game for Swayman. You know, I feel like a lot of these back-to-back this year is they've kind of saved Allmark for the second night of it. Uh, this time, Swayman gets it and plays really well, nearly has a shutout. Rangers score late. Um, but yeah, you know, again, like Islanders game, Bruins certainly didn't play their best for full 60 minutes. Uh, I thought, you know, Rangers game better, still had stretches where they weren't at their best, but um, just able to kind of take control when it matters and obviously got great goaltending both nights. I thought the defense was really good uh, against the Rangers, especially after Carlo went down and on, on his first shift of the second period, which, I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, but uh, the other five defensemen stepped up and, you know, um, and they're able to come away with the win. Yeah. And, and two goals from defensemen in the Islanders games too. So like adding offense, Clifton had a goal against the Rangers as well, set up by Marshawn, but um, yeah, no, the defense showed that it can do pretty much anything in this back-to-back. Like they had stretches where they were great on the penalty kill um, stepping into the offense, you know, moving pucks on the power play and scoring. So it was nice to see Forbert, AKA scoreboard score again uh, against the Islanders and also another goal for Pavel Zaka. So, um, another two goals for Pavel Zaka, one in the Islanders game, one in the Rangers game. Right. So, um, he's continued to be on a tear. Second line has looked good. Um, and just, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is if we want to go into the Carlo injury, like off the top, because um, just lineup implications, like you already have, you have to brusque down. And if Carlo has to be out for a stretch of time, you're missing, you're missing two guys that are important at this point. And we're just kind of the whole season. We're waiting for the shoe to drop on and on like a, t- a stretch where there were multiple injuries and, and people out besides when, um, McAvoy and Marshawn and Grizzlick in the beginning of the season, which we already knew we're going to be out with their surgeries. So um, what do you guys think? Obviously blocks a shot look like it hit him in the foot. Couldn't tell if it was like sh- instep or shoelaces comes off the ice needs help. 
um, walking down, which by the way, they didn't have a tunnel really weird situation where the way that he had to walk off, um, behind the glass. And, um, what did you guys think of the injury? Uh, what'd you see on it? And also what is the solution for the Bruins? If he's going to miss time, Scott, you want to take this one? Yeah. Well, you know, so obviously didn't return to the game. I think if there's any reason to be slightly encouraged it's that the Bruins did not immediately rule him out um, when they finally issued the injury update during the second intermission it was that he was unlikely to return and obviously he didn't but you know usually if they if they know a guy's out they just say he's out so um, you know that would at least lead, lead you to believe that maybe it's not too too serious because you know, they didn't definitively rule him out, uh, but he was clearly pretty hobbled. And, you know, I'm sure in, in a good amount of pain, uh, it was a, that was a hard shot by Zbigniew and Jed. And, you know, he finished out the shift. It was on the penalty kill. So he didn't really have an option. Um, but yeah, that was it for him for the night. Uh, it's, you know, Bridget, you mentioned like, obviously that they had a ton of injuries early on this season and, you know, they've, they've had 10 defensemen play in a game this season, but they haven't had any injuries in the blue line since Fulbert returned from his broken hand. And that was like the end of November. They've basically gone two months with just the same six defensemen. The only minutes from any other defenseman in the last two months were the one game that they went 11 forward 7D and Jacob Zaboral played about six minutes. Like that's it. You know, that was, that's the only time you've seen Zaboral and he's been with the team practicing. Uh, obviously Mike Riley has been in Providence. He played, you know, I think, I think 10 games earlier in the season. Uh, Anton Strawman played some, but he's been in, uh, he's been in limbo basically. Like they technically, you know, waived him and sent him to Providence, but he never actually reported until oddly enough today, uh, friend of the pod Mark Diver tweeted that he was practicing with Providence today and was potentially an option to play a game with Providence at some point uh, soon. So now, okay, obviously he's doing at least something to ramp up towards game action. Um, so, you know, you would have to assume that if Carlo does miss any time, Zaboro would be the next guy up. Montgomery has had good things to say about Zaboral and, you know, said like he's practicing well, like the way he played in, in the six minutes in that one game two weeks ago um, and said, you know, he, he really doesn't deserve to sit this long, but like, who are you going to bench f- from their defense? So, you know, now we'll actually see how, how much he believes that. Like now we'll actually see if that translates because um, if Carlo does miss any time, presumably Zabor would be the one going in. Yeah. And also to the Strawman thing, like obviously you would expect him to need some time in Providence now after being away from the ice so much. So like, he's not going to come up right away because presumably he's got to get back into, you know, the flow of things being away when all these other guys are mid season form that he's going to be playing against. So um, yeah, I, I would guess Saboro would be the the first option there. And then Strawman is just interesting to keep an eye on because obviously he adds up that the Bruins need in case somebody else goes down uh, or in case, you know, maybe the world doesn't play well, you, you want to have that defenseman as an option to call up. So it'd be really good for them. If he does continue in Providence and doesn't, you know, just kind of call it quits on the season. Um, huge sigh of relief that Carlo was um, not ruled out right away, obviously like Scott mentioned and, uh, so that makes me think, you know, obviously anything can happen overnight, but uh, that's a big sigh of relief for the team. As far as Zaboral goes, you know, I'm I'm looking at his at his page on the Bruins website, and, you know, you're talking about a guy who's turning 26 years old, uh, about a month from now, actually, and drafted seven and a half years ago, eight years ago this June. He's played 68 games for the Bruins. 68. Now, obviously, a lot of that was injury riddled, and, and that's why. But there's all been a large enough sample size without him on the injury block where he's just not cracking this Bruins lineup. And 
Uh, to take it a step further, one goal, 12 assists, 13 points uh, in a Bruins uniform since being drafted in the in June of 2015. And I know it's not it's not as black and white as I'm making it appear. I did ju- I did though just mention that injuries are a big part of that. But I I'm just looking at him and it, I haven't been impressed with him this year outside of that one preseason game where it, that 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 means nothing really. Uh, I know you one of you guys mentioned Montgomery said he hasn't deserved to be out this long. Fair enough, but he also never did anything really in his in his time on the ice this year. Limited limited time, albeit to really. I guess he's the next man up by default, right? But it's uh, he hasn't shown much this year that makes me confident in him going forward as a as a part of this team. I, I wonder if um. I don't know what his contract status is at the moment. I should probably look that up before I make this next comment, but I wonder if he's, if he's somebody that another NHL team might look at and say, he's only 25 years old, turning 26. Maybe we can, maybe we can utilize this kid in a, in a rebuild team and, and give him some more opportunity. Uh, I wonder if the Bruins look to move him. The only thing is as like we're talking about right now, one guy goes down, who's next guy up. It's either strong or a borrow. So you always need depth on defense, but, I just don't know what Zaboro's future in Boston is other than step up when someone goes down. Yeah, I think for now it, that that's all it's just depth and you know right at this very moment he's the 7th defenseman will you know to the point that we've been discussing like we'll see if that sticks we'll see if you know if there's still a path for Strawman to elevate ahead of him or if Riley's back at any point or obviously trading for a defenseman is, is an option. And, you know, I think everyone's kind of identified, you know, getting another veteran defenseman as, um, you know, potentially the path that Don Sweeney goes leading up to the deadline. And I agree with that, but at the same time, I'm like, well, what do they think of Anton Strawman? Because like, he would be that guy. Like he would be that veteran defenseman who you could plug in if he's like up to NHL level, which early on this year, it didn't really look like he was. We know he had the weird visa issue and he missed time. And, you know, he talked about how like he wasn't, you know, he'd never been in a situation like this where he was, you know, a healthy scratch more often than not. And it took a while to adjust to that. And then, and then he just gets outright waived um, because there's no more room for him once, you know, Grizzly and McAvoy come back and Forbert's back from his broken hand. Uh, there just wasn't a spot for him. So you, you wonder, it's like, okay, well, he, I highly doubt he's gotten better just skating on his own or, you know, scrimmaging over the last two months. Like that's, you can, you can work hard and I'm sure he is and you can stay in shape, but that is way off playing in NHL games. Like that is, you know, that's going to be to Bridges point earlier. Like he probably does need time in in the AHL at this point because he has just gone so long, not just without playing in an an NHL game, but without practicing against NHLers. Like he, he can't practice with the Bruins because he's not on the active roster. So yeah, and, and I thought that he looked a half step behind even when he was playing, you know, more often. Like, he did seem a little bit slower than some of the guys he was having to defend against. And obviously, age is, is a factor. He's older. He's playing against guys that are really skilled, young, in their early 20s. Um, but it just seems like it will be kind of an uphill battle for him to get back where he needs to be in order to you know, be the first guy that they call up. I still think Zaboral is the one that they're going to look to here for if, if Carlo needs to miss time at all, like we're not really sure he might be back, you know, one game, two games out. Um, Hopefully that's the case, but it still brings up the conversation. And we talk about how deep the Bruins are. Yeah. When they're healthy, they've, they've been able to keep, you know, one forward injury, you know, no defensive injuries for a while. So uh, it's, it's not something they've dealt with yet. And and it's one of the things where we're going like, oh, the Bruins are on this tear and there's no slowing them down unless, and then we're hitting this point where um, they get a scare in that sense with Carlo uh, and Carlo has been playing well. And uh, he's another guy that eats up a lot of PK time. Uh, and he's clearly uh 
a better option than Zaboral. So you're taking someone out of the lineup that is um, bet- the better option, someone that you want in your top six and to be out there every night. Um, but we will keep a really close eye on him, uh, what his status is. I don't believe Montgomery updated him after the game. He mentioned Carlo, but only in the sense to say that the other five defensemen stepped up when he left um, without issuing an update. As far as I know, Scott, I can tell is um, Googling or going on Twitter, I should say, and checking if any of the local beat writers that traveled to New York actually were able to get an update on that. Yeah. I I haven't seen anything as of when we're recording this, which is kind of, you know, shortly right after the game. So, um, Obviously, Montgomery, you know, met with media there, but no one tweeted anything. I don't know if he was asked or not. So uh, I guess we'll just have to wait until the Bruins post that audio or video. I want to keep it to the defense real quick, guys, and and I want to throw a question into your courts. Uh, Against the Islanders, Charlie McAvoy got his third goal of the season. It was his first goal. It's a loss in Florida, I believe, back in November. Um. He's played 32 games this year, three goals, 24 assists for 27 points, and 27 points in 32 games for a guy who missed all of camp and didn't really have a full summer uh, to skate and get get ready for the season. Along with what he does on you know, defensively, is there's it's great. But as the Bruins enter the second half of the year, obviously McAvoy is going to have to go from being what he's been right now to hopefully the Bruins think he's going to be, you know, a premier, one of the you know, best defensemen in the world come playoff time, which he's capable of being. So I ask you guys that as the Bruins get into the second half of the season here and, and Charlie has got, uh, you know, 32 games under his belt. Now, what, what would you like to see him do uh, even better going forward here to become um, or turn back into uh, what he's capable of being and has shown in the past. I, I feel like he, like he gets that number one power play unit time, but like there's been times, especially in the Rangers game uh, recently, just to name an example where sometimes at the point he's not like necessarily acting like Charlie McAvoy on the power play. Like either he's not moving the puck the same way or he's not holding pucks in the same way. And, and I know these are minor critiques. He's Charlie, he's Charlie McAvoy. He doesn't do it that often, but still noticeable because of how good he's been in the past when he does do things like that. You're like, okay, well, maybe he's still a little bit off, um, and that's something he might need to work on. Because you want to maintain possession, especially at the point on the power play. You don't want to you know, give up that possession and have to take things back out of the zone. Yeah, I also think five-on-five five where – I would say like over maybe the last week or two, we're finally starting to see him get more involved offensively where he's getting down low more often and getting more involved in chances. And he's um, put up some points as a result. And, and, you know, I think that pairing with him and Grizzly, like they've been really solid defensively the entire time they've been together. Uh, Now you see, but when they've been at their best in the past, like, they're very involved offensively, almost like at times it's just five interchangeable parts in the offensive zone. And you're starting to see that more. You saw, you know, uh, a D to D connection on a goal against the Islanders between them. And you're starting to see both of them more involved there. And I feel like that's kind of a sign of, of McAvoy's confidence coming back is that, you know, he is taking more chances and jumping up more. Uh, the other thing I think, you know, you might still want to see more of from him is just a physicality. Like, you know, I feel like he's not, we haven't seen as many of those, you know, big clean hits that we usually see from him. Uh, there's still been some, like, it's not like it's non-existent, um, but that they do feel like a little fewer and far, but, further between than uh than they have in the past so those are two things that like i think you still want to see coming along is just getting more involved offensively taking more chances because he generally makes good things happen when he's on his game and he does take those chances uh and then more physicality and and kind of 
helping to set the tone more that way. And I really do think that it's almost there. Like, I feel like it's like you, like you said, you've seen, we saw it with Grizzlick and McAvoy in this back-to-back and it just feels like it's, it's really close to being where it needs to be. It's just like, we're about to turn a corner here. If I was to guess, I'd say that it starts clicking soon here for them, but it does get complicated with, you know, maybe the need to mix pairs around uh, if you have an injury on the back end. So the, the nastiness that you alluded to Scott, that physicality, that's kind of where I was, where my mind was going as well. Uh, I've definitely noticed the, the slow burn it's been for him um, with the offensive confidence on the, uh, at the top of the umbrella, like Bridget mentioned, but that, that little, that level of nastiness, that, that physicality that Charlie has to his game is something that a lot of other elite defensemen don't have. Like you look at an Adam Fox, for example, I mean, Kel McCarr can, he can sh- certainly dish out the physicality a little bit too, but when McAvoy is at the peak of his game, he's bringing it on both ends of the puck, but also he, you know, he has a little bit of nastiness, a little bit of uh peskiness that gets under the opponent's skin. Now, with that said, I'm not necessarily um, longing for that so far this year. And I'm not saying he has to do it next game. I'm more so talking about as we build towards the latter half of the season and into the playoffs where, where he needs to continue to get back to, to speed. And I, I think it's just a matter of not having a full off season. And uh, I think there is some trepidation, right? When you have shoulder surgery in the off season, obviously you don't want to damage that again on an open ice hit, maybe in anywhere, maybe you kind of want to just make sure you're still ripping back up and, and you'll take that chance maybe in the first round of the playoffs, but maybe not, on the second of a back-to-back in New York, you know? I want to yeah. say, too, it's not been a lot. La- like, the Bruins haven't been lacking in that area, luckily, because I feel like Connor Clifton is a guy that comes comes through with some big hits when you need them. Um, where in the past it had been McAvoy, now Clifton has been able to be that guy and do it cleanly, and he's also been able to step into the offense the way that we had seen a Grizzlick or a McAvoy step in in the past. So even though McAvoy isn't quite at that level that he can be, it's been nice to see Grizzlick pick up you know, some of those things that he's been, he's not been able to do as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking too, like, I think it was last week I asked McAvoy after one of the games, um, just kind of like bigger picture, how he felt about where his game was. And, you know, and he said like, you know, he feels like he's making progress. He's had to be patient, but he also said like, it was a, you know, it's the biggest surgery he's ever had. And he said like, it was a completely new experience having to, kind of come back, you know, almost a, a month into the season and like everyone else has already, has already been building their game for a month and getting up to speed for a month. And then you kind of just jump in and, uh, and he was like, you know, that was different and it took a while to kind of catch up to everyone. Um, and, it, you know, I feel like that's even more noteworthy now that we're talking about uh, the potential of Carlo, you know, possibly missing time where it's, you know, again, these guys who just haven't played and it's like any one of them, whether it's Zaboral who's been practicing, but not playing or Strawman who hasn't been doing either or Riley who's been playing, but in the, in the HL, it's like any one of those guys, I bet it's not going to look very smooth when they get back in because you know, it's, it's awesome for the Bruins that they went two months with no injuries on the blue line and not having to change their lineup at all. But it also makes it tough now once you do, if you do have to change your lineup, like the, those guys are going to, you know, it's going to take a little bit for them to to get back in. And, and again, they're guys who were like already, you know, I don't know if I, like struggling or or you know, weren't really thriving when they were playing a little more early, earlier in the season. So, um, you know, I think you'll, whoever that sixth defenseman is, if Carlo misses time is going to probably be pretty sheltered at least to start. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's going to be an uphill battle for Zavoral, Riley, 
or Strawman, whoever it may be. Cause when you're on the, when you're on the outside, it just becomes an even bigger hill to climb because you're missing those reps and because you're missing that time. So, um, and you already maybe feel down about the fact that you haven't been in. So it's mentally and physically, you know, kind of a, an uphill battle for you. Guys, I'm looking at, uh, I wanted to bring up a player to you guys. And so I just pulled up his game log. I'm actually, I'm actually surprised at, at this dating back to December 22nd. So that's 14 games. Taylor Hall only has three, three points in his last four games, three assists. Now I, I, I wanted to bring him up because I, I, I knew he had been struggling a little bit in the last handful of games. So, but then when I expanded it, 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 it dates back to the 22nd of December uh, against, like I said, versus Winnipeg. Um, now the two games before that he had, uh, four points combined, but regardless, so his last 14 games, he has three assists and I wanted to bring him up because he, he also there he's, he's been noticeably acceptive of his role this year, whatever it's been in his two way game. You notice a lot on back checks tonight. I noticed a lot of foolish turnovers trying to go through people's skates, um, bad habits really now it's not an elongated sample of bad habits, but I noticed it tonight and a couple has cost the Bruins, but I want to get you guys' opinion on what might be, do you think he's lacking confidence? Do you think it's time to maybe put him up with Bergeron and Martian instead of Smith to get him going? Cause three points in 14 games. Uh, it's a bit of a, that's a bit of a slump. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about him today as well. And, and noticing him kind of shoot the Bruins in the foot on one of the power plays as well uh, in, in the turnovers. And it just popped in my mind. Like you can just tell such a difference because those games coincide with when he's moved off the, the wing with, with Krejci, right? Like it, he, his skill set isn't, as well complemented with Coyle and Frederick. It just, he just isn't at his best when he's playing with them. I'm not saying he's necessarily bad, but he kind of disappears um, with that line being Coyle and Frederick being two more physical guys, puck protection guys, not the skilled um, playmaker, you know, individual effort kind of guys. Um, a little bit more of a grinder line than what Hall was getting when he played with Krejci. Um, which complemented his skill set much better. So you see the you see the correlation in the way he plays uh, when he plays next to different centers in the past. Uh, last season, Coyle and him, the chemistry wasn't necessarily there. It looked okay for a little bit of this season this year, but um, I think there's a big. I mean, it, it looked really good for a little bit this season. Like yeah, it they, did. They were. I mean, when for the first couple of weeks that Hall, Coyle, and Frederick were together, they weren't just the Bruins best line. They were one of the best lines in the NHL. Like they, they were putting up crazy five on five numbers. So, and I thought they beyond just like scoring or, you know, lucking into goals. Like I thought they were playing really well and they looked like they were complimenting each other. Um, Doesn't it feel like that's kind of fallen off though? Yes. But I guess what I say is like, I, I don't feel like that line is playing poorly. Definitely. No. The offense has dried up a, a little bit. Um, and Hall's been, been part of that, but then like, you also have a game against Toronto where they get used as the matchup line against Matthews and shut down the Matthews line. So it's like, well, okay. How upset can I really get with them? Like if, if they're being asked to do that and they do it successfully, okay, then mission accomplished. Like that's, that's a good third line. If you have a third line that sometimes can be a scoring line, sometimes going to be a matchup line. Like that's a good, good place to be in, but it also feels like you're then limiting what Taylor Hall can bring because there is still a really good offensive player in there. And if you're asking him to take on more defensive shifts, like I think, yeah, I think he's in a headspace where he, you know, he's okay with that. Like he just wants to win. He wants to help the team win, but when he, when he gets in stretches where he's producing and putting up points, you're like, oh yeah, he can still do that. So it does feel like he's getting buried a little bit. And um, Brian, to your point, like whether it would, you know, I don't know how comfortable Hall would be playing on the right wing. I think he's done it extremely rarely in his career. So 
you know, I don't know if that's really an option to put him with Bergeron and Marchand. I'd be willing to try it. Uh, or if you put him with Krejci and Pasternak and Zaka goes to Bergeron and March or like whatever, like put with DeBrusque out, it felt like an opportunity to get Hall some more top six minutes in some capacity. And, um, you know, I know Montgomery really values that balance of what the lineup can look like with Hall on, on the third line. And there's, there's value in that, but at the same time, like, he is a guy that you're, you're going to want to start getting on the score sheet more. And um, the other thing, too, is that throughout Hall's struggles the last Baker's dozen of games or 14 games, uh, Coyle and Frederick seem to be still doing their thing. And they just it, – it hasn't mattered if it's been Hall or Feliz or Zaka. Uh, they – Coyle and Frederick, they've I, they've solidified themselves as a tandem. And I think that it, I don't think their game will change that much, depending who that third guy is. Could this? I really don't. And I think the Islanders game is a perfect example of that. Like Craig Smith had an awesome shift against the Islanders, and I thought Craig Smith has had a strong couple of games here, by the way. Um, but he he was a dog uh, in a good way, uh, um, leading up to that Bruins fourth goal against the Islanders, and. I just feel like to that last point you raised, Scott, like, yeah, like let Craig Smith go with Coyle and Frederick and see if they can carve something up. Because like I said, Coyle and Frederick play well together. And I think that the, I think there's a better uh, ceiling and there's more optimal value by trying to get Hall going than trying to get Smith going. And I just think that because Coyle and Smith play a meat and potatoes, I'm sorry, Coyle and Frederick play a meat and potatoes style of play together. That's great for Craig Smith. And yeah, put maybe put Zaka with with Bergeron and Marshand, um, and try to try to see if Hall can get going. Because I just think it's it's very very important to get to have this guy going. It's one thing to have him in your third line for depth, but in name only. But you want you want him to be producing, right? So I don't know. Obviously, it's easy to sit there and look at the numbers and say he's struggling. I guess I was curious if, if there's something in his game that you guys saw was just lacking. Uh, as to as to why he might be struggling, I I think part of it's being snake bitten. He's had some great A chances. I'm sure your advanced stats, Scott, if you had them in front of you, would would tell you like he his he's getting chances. Like he's had a couple great A chances. He had a even breakaway tonight or something. But so I don't. I think it's being snake bitten. I think it's a lack of confidence a little bit too. And sometimes those go hand in hand, right? So yeah, I've I've no stats in front of me because my computer is doing that thing where. Uh, if I open any more tabs, it's going to like crash mid recording here. So let's not uh, do that. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to just say this pros and cons to three. So you mentioned three different options pro to moving hall up to the first line would be to just try it and see, like, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. Just kind of an interesting experiment. Maybe he gets going, maybe he doesn't No harm, no foul, move him back. Um, con is that he's not comfortable playing that side pro to moving Pasternak or Zaka up and, and letting Hall slide into the second line. He's been good there, but I also am, uh, hesitant to do that because as a line, the check line has been doing so well recently and create, there's no, like, it's not a coincidence that Krejci and Zaka are both putting up more points at the same time and playing better at the same time. So I think it's been I almost am just afraid to change that line at all. So that kind of takes away that option in my mind as the best option to move Hall there to the second line. Yeah, I agree. It'd, it'd definitely be tough to split that lineup right now. Um, you know, one thing we know about Jim Montgomery though, is like any line that goes quiet, he is probably going to try to change it up at some point. Um, one thing I like, I do know as far as that third line Brian, you're right. Like in terms of goal differential, they've been really good no matter who who's been with Coyle and Frederick. Um, I do know, like from looking this up last week, that their possession numbers, like the underlying numbers, are you know whether it's Corsi or expected goals, are a lot better with Hall there than than anyone else. So he is de- he does definitely make a difference. Like he he is he has driven play for that line, even though. Um, to what we've been talking about the offense itself has has dried up a bit recently 
And he's a good possession guy, right? Like he controls the puck well. He knows how to shield well. So does Coil. So that whole line has that skill set where they can, um, you know, maintain possession pretty well. So, I mean, maybe the best option is actually to, to let it just let it work itself out. Maybe just uh, keep it together because they, they do not play bad together. It's just um, we're just trying to find a solution to the whole um, hall lack of production situation. And, and that's a good point too, Bridget. Maybe you do just ride it out. Maybe he is just snake bitten because, you know, you can look at it a couple different ways. You can sit there and say he has three points in his last 14 games, or you could sit there and say, well, yeah, but he also had 27 points in his first 30 games, right? Cause that's what, that's what you're looking at. He has, he has 30 points in the year, 44 games. And obviously we've mentioned his struggles lately. So I, perhaps that is the best way to go about it. It is a long year. Slumps happen. Um, if it's not, if if it's more just him being snake bitten than his quality of play, then yeah, let him work his way out of it. Um, I did think with with DeBrusco, like Scott, you 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 said that too. It's a good chance to kind of move things around. But you know, another thing too, and this is such a crazy idea that it would literally never happen. And I'm not suggesting it would, but you do forget that Taylor Hall was was drafted as a as a center center wing, but he was drafted as a, as a, as a center option. And, and they did give him center opportunities in Edmonton, not a lot, but um, cause you, you, you think about maybe moving him around a lineup to get him going, but I mean, center's not an option in Boston. It's just, it's, you forget that Taylor Hall has that hat or had that skill set. Um, so guys, I, there's some other things we want to get to as well, but were there any other story storylines from the Islanders and Rangers game you guys wanted to go over? Uh, I mean, just a quick note, no six back in instead of Kapanen. Uh, that was really just the only lineup difference besides, uh, like we mentioned, Allmark going against the Islanders and Swayman going against the Rangers. Those were the only two changes. Yeah, Swayman was great, too. That I don't want to gloss over that. I mean, real quick, uh, Yoni, is it Kapanen? Is that what you, is that what you said, Bridget? Cap, mm-hmm. Cap Kapanen? Yeah, he doesn't have NHL speed. Uh, God bless him, but he—I he, don't think he has the speed to keep up with the, with the big boys. Unfortunately, I don't know well, if you have a thought on him, Scott. Yeah, and I, I think it also that sort of highlights maybe another area. Like if we're just talking about potentially areas to add depth of the deadline, another left shot center who can play in the NHL because you're right. Like I don't know, maybe. Kapanen can still get to a better place in the next couple months, but it's, you know, I won't say like he hasn't looked bad by any means, but to your point, like he doesn't really look like he, he kind of looks like, you know, he can maybe just get by in in an NHL game, but like you wouldn't want him playing in, in a playoff series. I don't think, um, you know, the reason he gets called up is because obviously Nosek isn't taking faceoffs right now, by the way, still didn't take any Thursday night. So he's still not doing that. And they do like having at least one good left shot faceoff guy in the lineup, you know, yeah. Zach and Frederick are guys who've played center in the past, but neither one's been good on faceoffs this year. So, uh, and you don't want to move either of those guys. Yeah. So that's, you know, one area like another you mentioned defense but another one would be you know is there a left shot center who can play you know a fourth line role and handle himself in a, in a playoff series like if you can find someone like that um you know and if they have versatility to play some wing too even better yeah so, we almost forgot about this name but like curtis lazar was good in that that he can move like a fourth line guy that can move wingers yeah but even he like he was a right shot they, they've been yeah. so heavy on right shot centers like it's again we mentioned it like before the season it's one of the main reasons no second made the team as crazy as it sounds but like they're they're going to be key face-off situations in a game where you want that left that left shot guy out there and no sec before this injury had been awesome in face. I was, I think yeah. it was like 58% on the year. So yeah, no, no sick and no sick and Frederick were two guys who had a terrible training camp uh, that in my opinion at the time kind of 
deserve to potentially lose jobs if it weren't for contract status. And and they both just the, the second the puck dropped uh, for the regular season have just been completely different players. But guys, now Mark McLaughlin is a right-handed shot, uh, twofold here. Are you guys surprised we haven't seen him once this year? And and look, they've been healthy, so that's great. But and he's not a left shot uh, centerman. I'm surprised we haven't seen him at least once this year. And you do talk about left shot centerman, Johnny left shot. Um, to call him up in a fourth line opportunity, I, I don't think is too crazy. So, what are you guys' thoughts on McLaughlin and Beecher not not getting a a call up at one point this year? Yeah, I think there's just been guys ahead of them in, in Providence that they feel have been having better seasons and we're more ready for opportunities. Obviously we know Lauka was one of them to start the year. Um, you know, we saw Chris Wagner called up now Kapanen who, by the way, like offense is not Kapanen's game. He's outscored McLaughlin and Beecher in the AHL this year. Now he should, he's been around longer. He's, you know, he's played a few seasons in, in that league. Um, but, you know, I think, I think they want they want to see more offense from both those guys in the, in the AHL, and you know they both got off to very slow starts. They picked it up a little, but still probably want to see a little more. I I do wonder like if and when we we will because to your point like those are guys that you would think you'd want to get a look at. I mean McLaughlin was you know around the team kind of in the playoff picture last year. Not that he was a regular in the lineup for the playoffs, but like he had been playing games leading up to the playoffs. Um, and, you know, at least holding his own. So like you would hope he'd at least be in position to be somewhere around there by the end of the season. But obviously you would want to get him in, in NHL games to see that. And Beecher, you're right. Like that's one guy who's down the AHL who could be that left shot center. He, he has always been good in faceoffs. Um, so you wonder, like, you know, could that be that guy? Could he be that guy? Um, you know, I, I just think they probably feel like he's not quite NHL ready yet. But um, to your point, like, if you can't find someone like that, that I mentioned on the trade market, you know, I think you would have to take a look at that at some point because you – you you want to, you just want to know what your options are behind Nosek. You don't want to get into a playoff series where Nosek goes down and that or you know is banged up or whatever. And now, uh, oh crap, we don't really have a fourth line center. Yeah, and I think to answer your original question, Brian, it, I'm not surprised that we haven't seen McLaughlin or Beecher just because of the circumstances with health and nobody's been slumping. Where you're like, okay, well, let's give this other guy a chance, this young guy a chance. So no, I'm not surprised we haven't seen them. Would I have thought, you know, in the preseason or before the season that we would have seen them by now? Yeah, I, w- I would have like, that would have been my guess, but just the way things have actually played out, it, it hasn't been necessary and it ha- there hasn't been a natural time to really do it. Yeah. That last thing you said is kind of bang on. There hasn't been a natural time to do it. Cause, uh, and it's a great problem to have it. The Bruins, uh, they've been healthy right up front. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's good that we haven't seen these guys in a way because we definitely thought we were at some point, like you said. So um, any other key points, guys, obviously there's a new, there's a new Boston all-star in the mix um, who, you know, uh, it was never a doubt, but was there anything before, before we talked about that you guys wanted to cover or was that kind of the last thing to go over here? Uh, I got something to say to Scott that I meant to say right off the top, which is uh, Scott, happy national popcorn day. Oh, oh yes, I saw that today. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that was big, that big was important. I put it in my notes just because I couldn't not. Uh, I had to get that in at some point. So you know, I wasn't I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna bring it up and uh, you know try to make myself sound like Patrice Bergeron uh, playing through a puck to the face, which we didn't touch on. But uh, anyways, I you know I'm kind of like just as tough because I I haven't potting through a. Uh, popcorn belly ache tonight so you know yeah well you can't popcorn and pod so everybody everybody knows that uh but no we should probably touch on the bergeron thing real quick just how insane he is because every single one of his teammates by the way 
his nose, it was already effed up, but it is just so much worse. He's got a stitch under it. He's got a bruise where you can tell the side of the puck. Like it's like almost shaped like the round of a puck yeah. on his cheek. And it looks like in is- Home Alone where he gets hit by the ironing, the <laughs> iron, when you just have that outlined on your face. I mean, like I feel like he's at the point now where like the next puck to the face will probably straighten his nose out because he <laughs> Can't, can't get broken anymore. I think he's. I think he needs a new nose. Honestly, like if anyone, if anyone needed a new one, it's it's probably him at this point. Uh, through no fault of his own, it just keeps getting hit. Um, and the only reason we bring it up is the just give him credit, I guess, because he's played through every possible injury. And even after the game today, someone asked him, you know, why did you decide to play? When did you decide to play? He said, I told medical. If they didn't want me to play, they should say so because they can't leave it up to me because no matter what, I, I'm going to play. I'm always going to push to play. So unless they hold me out, I'm going to play. So it's kind of one of those things where you in other sports, that doesn't happen, by the way, um, with other guys, it doesn't happen. It, he's just kind of one of those uh, over the top teammates that wants to be involved in every situation sets a good example for other people not saying you should play through injuries but it and Marshawn said it too after the Islanders game it made me want to run through a wall so that they, they, it is a way to motivate your team just show that you want to be there all the time yeah and you know it's funny you bring up the uh like well if they left up to me I'm playing type thing because Montgomery's he's tied a couple times now, but like the possibility of some sort of load management, like down the stretch and, you know, potent like potentially resting guys on and off um, or at least, you know, for a game here and there. And it's like, yeah, that's going to be fun because you know, who's not going to want to rest for a game at any point. The rest of the season is literally anyone on this team. Like none of them are going to really, none of them are going to be cool with that. So um, you know, I think like they'll all accept it if Montgomery does ultimately go that route. But then the other part of that, and, and that I should have mentioned when we we're talking about call-ups, is this team also has no cap space right now. So, and they're not accruing any because they're still using long-term IR until DeBrus comes back. So, you know, you can't even like call up an extra body. Um so you, you could only rest like one guy at a time because you'll have your 13th forward or your seventh defenseman on the roster. But um, yeah, unless they can free up some money before the trade deadline in terms of cap space, like they're not going to be able to be calling guys up, you know, every couple of games just to uh, get them a game, rest someone type thing. Yeah, he's a warrior guy. Guys. There was never a doubt. I the only my only concern when I saw that happen was I thought it, at first I thought it was a stick from Kyle Clutterbuck. So I or um no uh, Sezikis Casey Sezikis. So I thought maybe the way Bergeron reacted like it was not it was an eye injury and, that, and that's when it gets real scary. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like I couldn't tell you couldn't tell exactly what he was covering with his glove, but I was like I I thought I thought I did think it was the puck. Like I, I thought it was the shot. But I was like, oh, God, did, like, did the puck somehow get up under his visor? Um, yeah. Fortunately, you know, it looks like got him just below that. And I think if you ask any player, they would rather get hit with a stick in the face than a puck in the face. Like they – and it weirdly took like a redirect off someone's leg, and Kate, or I think leg, maybe stick, came up higher, like deflected up towards his face. And even yeah. even with that deflection, it didn't really slow down all that much. So he got hit with the brunt of it. But I think now's a good time to switch over to um, a little bit of Pasternak stuff just because we had um, Rich Keefe come out with an updated report that kind of built off his last one about where negotiations stand. Um, And unless you guys have anything else to say, I'll just kind of like recap some of the stuff that we talked about on the Rich Keefe show the other day and then get you guys to weigh in on it. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So when I, and I talked to Keith before the show, he gave me a little bit more information than I could really say. Um, but like to go over what he w- went on the record to say on his show, um, there's a little bit of new, new information about what the Bruins original offer was. Um, so 
Keith Soros told him that the Bruins original offer was nine million a year to start the season. Um, and that wasn't really close to what Pasternak was looking for. And then it was Pasternak's side and JP Barry, his agent, who proposed the eight year, $88 million contract. And the reason why Keith originally reported that the deal was done was because Pasternak side offered that and the Bruins side and Sweeney accepted it. So originally it looks like that's a deal that's, you know, everybody's agreed to the, those terms. And then where things got off of that, where it seemed like this was imminent and, and that's why Keith tweeted out the report. Um, what changed was according to the source that Keith talked to um, Pasternak side, most likely his agent. I really don't think Pasternak himself would do this um, up to the price to North of $11 million a year looking at like 11.25 or 11.5 instead of the agreed upon like eight years, uh, 11 million for 88 million total. Um, so there was, according to this, uh, a change after the original agreement to try to get more money. And I don't think that's something Pasternak would do. It seems like a a move by an agent that wants to get a higher commission. Um, And that was the sense that Keith got as well. But I want to get your opinion on that. And also um, just, you know, it, it seems like at the very least we can tell, like we can, extrapolate that he wants to be here and they were so close that like the intention has been to sign um where that was something that was a variable we didn't necessarily know the answer to um now we can see that it was attempted if this is um this reporting is you know the source is correct that he's right there and wanting to be here so stop scott before you before you go can you expound upon bridget's um numbers with keith in addition to that, didn't wasn't there an Elliot Friedman report something about ten seven five too? I think or... that was I think that was Drager. Yeah, so I was just going to mention that. Like, so my opinion on this is I am taking everyone's numbers with a grain of salt or a lot of salt at this point because they're just too all over the place. And like, Keith's numbers make sense. Like that's been my guess for where it ends up is eight by eleven a year. Um, but then you have Drager saying he thinks the number is going to be 10.75. You know, I had that, I had heard somewhere just kind of like whispers that, uh, you know, someone had said they thought the Bruins are offered over 11 million a year, which like we haven't heard anywhere else. So like, it's, I don't know. I think the Bruins will accept over 11 million a year. I think they will, if the, if the current offer is 11.25, or 11.5 I think they still accept that yeah like I said I, like I'm just not even I'm not even gonna try to guess because I, I, think, I just think too many people are in different wavelengths here and throwing out different numbers that you know I don't know which one is is true or if any of them are if this they may very well just still be negotiating I, I think the one thing to me that does seem kind of clear and in it you know m- maybe Rich is right like I've said it from the start. I don't think Rich just makes stuff up. I think he does have a pretty good source and, and, you know, probably trust that source, but we have heard on the record that there's been progress in the last couple of weeks. And his agent has said that you had Elliot Friedman say that. So that's like the one thing that I actually feel confident about is that there's been progress and the two sides have gotten closer now. Well, yeah, I think about Whether it. There if was it's also just... some sort of last minute change that keeps suggesting where one, you know, Pasternak side tried to up it. I don't know, but it definitely seems like they've gotten, they're closer now than they were a month ago. That seems fair to say. So yeah, I guess my overarching takeaway is that that at least is encouraging. And as far as all the numbers that are getting thrown around, um, I don't want to say I'm ignoring them. I'm not doing that, but I'm just taking all of it with, with a lot of salt. Well, and, and if you, if you think about it, like, yeah, they have gotten closer. If the original number was 
0.9, if they're originally $2 million apart, say, and now they're only 0.5 or 0.25 apart. So, you know, that is progress. That is closer to a deal. If, if he signs for 10.75, I would be absolutely blown away because uh, that, because I just don't see a world where he doesn't sign for at least 11. I don't see it. Well, let me, let me clarify. He's worth minimum 11 based off of the production that he does in this league and comparables around the league. Um, what does our Timmy Panarin make, Scott? 11-6? Um, 11-5? Yeah. I would have to look it up. But, I yeah, mean, that sounds right. Pasternak is – and this is not me being biased. He's a better he's a better scorer than our Timmy Panarin. Um, I mean, he has, like, 20-something more points than him this year. And I'm sure that their points before this year were pretty comparable. So if he were to sign for almost a million less than what Panarin's – making on his current deal, then that would be the biggest favor in the world to the Boston Bruins. Now is David Pasternak such a, such a good person where he understands that um, the Bruins ability to remain competitive long-term is for him to take a bit of a discount that he'll take that much of a discount. Yeah. Maybe he is that good of a person because he also realizes that in addition to the money that he values comp, uh, competitiveness, then that'll help the team mm-hmm. competitive. Then, then that's great. But I just think if you're out there, if if I still think like even if they sign him for like eleven, I still think that's a bit of a discount. But I don't know. I guess like Scott said, like it's kind of s- senseless because there's being thrown around. But uh, the well, good news, like you guys said, is that progress is being made progress. Yeah. If you're Canadian, but, uh, to, to the point about, um, you know, taking a discount to be competitive, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that is something that's being considered, um, because you think about why this team is doing so good this year. And it's because they've got guys on here for a discount that you would have to pay, you know, millions more somewhere else. Um, and he wants to win. He doesn't want to play for a team where he's the only good player or, you know, they have half a team that's decent and they're missing depth um, because of the fact that he's on this contract. However, he is easily worth the 11. The Bruins would be dumb to not agree to 11.25 or 11.5 because he's worth it. Um, obviously they have to go back and look at the numbers. If you're going to change the numbers, you know, after you think you have something agreed upon, uh, you do have to look at what that does for the cap, what, what that, that does change what you can do. Um, even if it's just a little bit, you got to look at it. So, um, it, it's interesting to think because if, if, if it's true and originally he wanted 11 million, the fact that an extra bit at the end is being tacked on feels like it's not coming from Pasternak Cause I would think he would under, like he would want to take what he thinks he deserves, but not more because he would want to be competitive. That's just how hockey players are. It's not how basketball is. It's not how other sports are, but especially it's kind of part of the Bruins culture to, to do that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is a little bit of disconnect maybe with what Pasternak wants and what the agent's pushing for and, and, just maybe a little bit of that. We're not, we're not a hundred percent sure. And we'll, it will always be pushed back by JP Barry, whatever, you know, whatever report comes out that would say or suggest anything like that. So uh, he, he pushed back on Keith's original report and yeah. then, but then a few weeks later confirmed that they were closer. So who knows agents, you also have to take what agents say uh, lightly or, and not read into or not take them like, a hundred percent seriously. Cause they're at the end of the day, they're still working on getting them the money. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the question is whether or not pass and I will take a discount. I think he will. I just think the question is how much, right? Like I said, I think, I think if you're looking at his value, pass is worth, I mean, you could argue he was worth 12, right? So uh, if he would take 11, that's a discount, right? 10, seven, five is will be uh best case scenario for the Bruins. Um, but uh, so he is an all-star. Uh, we knew that already, but technically 
he uh, wasn't named to the All-Star because Linus Allmark was the Bruins representative. Each team has to have one, and there's no denying Allmark's an All-Star this year, but Pasternak did get in um, along with Austin Matthews and Andre Vasilevsky as Atlantic Division fan votings. Um, you guys looking forward to seeing Pasta in those beautiful 2023 All-Star jerseys, bit of a throwback? Yeah, and like, you know, it, it, I feel like the All-Star game at this point in the skills competition, for me, it's like, if I'm around, I'll watch it. I'm not going out of my way to watch it. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. It, to me, it just feels like being named an All-Star doesn't, really mean a a heck of a whole lot anymore just because i think they've they've watered it down like needing to have one player from each team is really silly uh you know like you end up with nick suzuki going because montreal has to have someone and meanwhile like uh stamp ghost isn't there and rasmus stalin isn't there and hampus lindholm's not there yeah bergeron's not there like it's just like okay that there's four guys from the division who are very clearly better players than Nick Suzuki. I also feel like the NHL has just decided that defense isn't a spot, isn't a position that deserves to go to the all-star game. The, <laughs> the Atlantic division does not have a single defenseman on it. Nine forwards to two goalies. Like, I don't know. It's all, it's just weird. I, so it's like, I dislike the format that they've gone to. Like I used what? to watch it. And, and actually be super interested in it back when you got to see like Crosby and Ovechkin play together. And like, it was actually five on five hockey and there was, you know, it wasn't three on three and there was, it just felt more like what it was in my mind supposed to be like, which is you get a super team from, you know, from each conference, you put it together and you put who's best in there, not, you know, participation trophy for some of the teams that don't have anyone that's worth sending. So that's what it's supposed to be. It's not what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, a lot, I think all the major sports have a tough time um, garnering interest in their all-star games, but if it look, if the idea is to sell, you know, all-star jerseys and sell tickets and, and then let the, let the players go off for a few weeks. That That's fine. If your goal is to make the game matter and have all the best players there, then in my opinion, what they should do to fix it is unlimited all-stars per team. And you get rid of the, um, this little three on three thing they have go back to a five on five game East versus West, but the caveat is that the winning team gets home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Finals. So a little page no. out of MLB's book. But <laughs> that, I don't think that will it. ever happen well, on, because it's too important. And if you got like, you could have a goalie just like be like, I'm just trying to rest or some shit, and just like you know. I mean, here here's my thing is. I don't even hate like the switch to three on three or whatever, trying to make it more entertaining because I do. Uh, it's not I'm real like hockey. you, Bridget. I don't have fond memories of the five on five all-star game. I thought that's it's not a three on three hockey. is not real hockey. So what Neither are we was watching? Five on five all-star game. There was no defense. Whoa, whoa, you got, whoa, whoa, you got whoa. like 11 to nine games. No, Hold- Scott, you just said there's no even defensemen in the three on three. So who's playing less defense? Which one? I didn't know we were going to have a fight over the all-star game. I'm I'm saying it sucks no matter what. It has sucked my entire life. All right. That, well, that's that's I used my to order, enjoy order, it. order, order, order in the court. Order in Sorry, the court. Sorry, wait. I'm guessing Brian was just intending for this to be a fashion segment. <laughs> order in the court. I kind of was actually. Uh, by the <laughs> way, Scott, the 1996 All Star Game was phenomenal. If you go back on YouTube and watch watch that game and watch the the representatives on the blue line when they called out the players and then the way Bork won that game was pretty sick. But also, I actually I'm not saying that they should make it home home ice advantage on the line i'm only saying like if they actually care about making the game matter then that's you have to do something like that obviously i don't want home ice advantage coming down to an all-star game but major league baseball had no issue doing that which i always found interesting but even they eventually got rid of it because they realized that was a joke too yeah um Okay, guys, I think I'm out of gas. I'm overheating in, in the room that I'm currently in. <laughs> Me too. Uh, what happened? Sweating, we're I'm not in the bullets. same place, but all of a sudden, we're all like... I'm sweating bullets right now. I feel like I'm in hell, in the Dante's Inferno or something. But uh, 
you guys have anything else to go over here? That's that's what happens when we just start unexpectedly launching an all-star game hot takes. Yeah, just got <laughs> heated real quick there. I mean, it, 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 I will say, whether you like the all-star games or not, they are most certainly at an all-time low right now. You got one guy per team, and it's three-on-three format. Nobody cares. To Scott, to your point, nobody cares. Like, it used to be cool with the... You know, when Ray Bork did the the four for four, it made it, it was special. When Char used to go like 108 miles an hour, 111, it was special. Now these guys, it's they're all wearing capes and they're wearing disguises on breakaways. It's it's <laughs> yeah, I'm all set. I'm all set. You know, but anyway, except for the jerseys, um, you liked the jerseys. The right? jer- no, those those are great. Those are great. I do like them. Um, they're like the, the neon. The color- yeah, the colors may be a little vibrant for some people, but I think I think they're pretty cool. It's kind of a '90s throwback. Um, I, I'm trying to pull up their. Uh, okay, so the Bruins are off till Sunday. They got the Sharks on Sunday, so some days off here after the back to back. I imagine that we'll either talk after that game or maybe Monday morning. Or I think they play the Canadians for the first time in ten years too next week. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll talk after that game instead. Oh but. yeah, Scott and I aren't making the trip. No, it's a little too cool this time of year to to head up to watch a game against the Montreal Canadiens team that's not going to be. Well, I mean, I guess we could be surprised, but like theoretically, it's not the caliber game that you want to travel all the way to Montreal for. So um, maybe next year we'll get them right, Scott. Maybe if they play in uh, April or actually they are playing in, in April against it, but it's the last game of the season. And as we know, usually nobody plays that game so neither yeah. of them made sense for us to travel there this year which is a bummer because i love going to montreal and i did want to get to cover a game at the bell center but next year bridget scott it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you two the last hour plus but i think it's time to hit the road jack so thank you all for listening enjoy your weekend and we will talk to you soon